0: M A I N M
1: E N U menu.
0: Main, menu. Main, menu. Main, menu. Main Menu Main Menu Main Menu
2: Hello and welcome to Main Menu for the week of November 23rd through November 29th, 2012. I'm Chase Crispin, the executive producer of Main Menu. I will be here hosting the program this week, and David Tanner will be back here hosting next week. On this week's edition of Main Menu, David Tanner speaks with Eric Damery from Freedom Scientific all about the newest Freedom Scientific products, including version 14 of the Jaws for Windows screen reader, version 12 of the Magic Screen Magnification software, and other products soon to be released from Freedom Scientific. Next. Mary Emerson tells us about the Mini-Guide, an electronic mobility aid that can be used in addition to a cane or guide dog when traveling. Finally, David Woodbridge from Vision Australia demonstrates how to add and switch Apple IDs on the Apple TV with VoiceOver so that you can log into your Apple account and get the content that you have available to you on your Apple TV. That's all coming up on this week's edition of ACB Radio Mainstream's Main Menu, and we invite you to stay tuned to Main Menu over the next few weeks as we bring you many more exciting discussions, including a discussion of the newest generation of the iBill Talking Banknote Identifier, a discussion of a new braille writer from Perkins, demonstrations and discussions of new JAWS scripts to make popular music software accessible, And, of course, more demonstrations of the new Windows 8 operating system from Microsoft, and how the newest releases of many popular assistive technologies can access Windows 8. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for us here at Main Menu, please feel free to contact us. You can find all of our contact information on our website at mainmenu.acbradio.org.
1: Well, I am very pleased to have with me today Mr. Eric Damery, Vice President of Software Products for Freedom Scientific. And Eric, it is always good to have you come on with us on Main Menu to talk about the latest going on with JAWS, and uh, the recent release of JAWS 14 is, is certainly a good time to do that. I know you and your development team have to have been very busy and continue to be very busy with all that's going on with Windows and all of the products related to Windows. So I'm going to turn over to you and let you uh, talk to us about what's been going on, what's going to be going on. And welcome to Main Menu.
3: Well, thank you, David. And it's a pleasure to be be back on Main Menu this year. I always look forward to this time of the year because we get an opportunity to get the new product out and get out there and start talking to people about it. So um, it's been a very... Uh, busy year. We had a lot to accomplish to be prepared for Windows 8 and uh, and get some new features and lots of changes in for the JAWS 14 release. And uh, so far, uh, the release coming out the end of October, and here we are heading into Thanksgiving at the time of this recording, and things have been uh, uh, just fantastic since the release. So we're very pleased. And maybe the first thing I should mention for those who have JAWS 14, so if you ran in the beta program in the the public beta program, we did release right around the 24th, I believe it was, of October and you should have got an announcement and got that update and hopefully you've uh, received that update by now. If you did stay on for the public beta build, it uh, has probably expired by now, so you would need to uh, uh, get it updated in order to continue. If you did not have authorization for JAWS 14, it will run as a 40-minute demo and it installs in a separate folder as always, so you can continue to use earlier versions of Jaws on your computer. If you have authorization for Jaws 14, you should be up and running now with the final release, and there will be the first update to Jaws 14 uh, coming out probably just after the broadcast of this main menu. So if you haven't uh, received notice of it yet in in Jaws when you start up, uh, you'll be noticing it here probably within the next week. And uh, we've been very busy. You know, we have to go through a test cycle before we release software, so there are very few changes changes that occur in the month of October in the actual release itself. We're continuing to get beta reports. We continue to have a list of issues that we're trying to address and work on. But in order to make sure that we get through the right test cycle, we uh, limit how much goes into the actual builds during the month of October that make it to the public in October. And so many of those things had continued on. And uh, and I I think there were upwards of another 170 to 190 uh, probably by the time. Time We get the final out the door here the first week in December. So that's changes. um, In addition, you know, either resolved fixes from things that we were trying to get to in the public beta or since the release, as people have reported things that we just didn't pick up on, we've made those adjustments. So a lot of changes coming in that first update. And we're pleased to be able to keep the team going forward and get these things out as fast as possible. So it has been a busy year, and in addition to Jaws 14, of course, uh, David, you're aware, and, and many of your your listeners are, that we have been working hard over the past several years on magic, and we released a new ground up version of Magic, uh, Magic 12, which came out right about the same time as JAWS 14. It's designed to work in conjunction with JAWS 14, of course, but it is a great magnification with speech product on its own. It's got the new enhanced HD uh, font smoothing, and uh, that's, in addition to fonts, will work for mouse pointers as well. So I think users are really gonna take advantage of of that new attribute in fonts and, and mice. And also you'll find that we've added in a feature called Speech on Demand, which allows users to be able to tell Magic to not speak unless you actually ask it to. So when you're switching from one window to the next, it's not gonna be a lot of chatter, but at any time you want it to read something, whether it be a line or start a say all or read the window title, you issue the keyboard command or the mouse command and it will speak as it always did. Um, We also released this year a 14-cell focus uh, Bluetooth Braille display, which has been a huge hit. Um, It's compatible with the new version of the iPhone. Of course, it works with JAWS for Windows on all the Windows platforms, and uh, that one's been going like crazy.
1: And I believe the 40 is a new one this year also, right?
3: Yeah, the 40, I can't recall the month it came out, but it was was within the last year here, I believe, yes. So we've been very busy on the blindness side. Of course, we're working on open books. Book as well so we hope to have something out to our open book customers this coming year and uh, we're always working on low vision products last year this past year we come out with uh, hd video magnifiers on the topaz line it's been a huge hit rubies and sapphires have been continue to be very strong and uh, we really appreciate customers who have taken advantage of looking at our hardware line as well as our software products. So JAWS 14, um, probably the key feature that has gotten most of the buzz was one that we didn't put in the initial public beta. Uh, It's called Flexible Web, and to give a a brief overview, the idea is to give an an end user the opportunity to um, indicate to JAWS through a a wizard, through an easy set of rules, uh, to identify things on particular web pages which you may not want spoken. So frame that contain ads or advertisements or uh, could be uh, a, a frame that has uh, links in it or a group of, of elements that you would just as soon skip over whenever you land on this web page because you use the page often and there's only certain things that you want to get to so you can kind of teach jaws to eliminate those things just take them out of the virtual buffer and uh, then when you land on the page and you start reading through it whether you're arrowing through it or doing a say-all it will go much quicker through just the things you are interested in. Uh, very nice for news pages, very nice for websites that you use on a regular basis where there's always a lot of information that you want to get through and we continue to get great feedback from our customers who have t- explained to us the uh, advantage that we that we knew it was going to happen, that the advantage of being able to get through pages much quicker. You can also with Flexible Web set up rules on particular pages where you want JAWS to start reading. So if, if it's a news page, you can, you can teach the news site that You always want JAWS when the new page loads to start from the main body of the story instead of having to read all the heading information and all the links to get to it or having to use navigation quickies to skip through all of this information and get to it. You can set up a rule so that JAWS can automatically start reading from that point. Um, A dynamite feature with, I think, limitless possibilities where we can go with this technology. And uh, Dan Clark put out a, a great webinar on the 24th of October about flexible web. So if you're interested in learning more by all means read the help file on it on the web page, but check out that free webinar on our website about flexible web, and it will really jumpstart you and, and give you a good sense of what that feature can do. Probably the next big piece of news that came out in 14 that a lot of people have wanted to take advantage of was the new vocalizer synthesizer. A vocalizer is the next generation of real speak, really, from Nuance. It's still under development by Nuance, so it's continuing to improve and coming up here in uh, 2013 there'll be new versions of the synthesizer we understand that some very good changes and I'll ask everyone to stay tuned uh, but some of the things that you've been looking for in RealSpeak and now in vocalizer that you've wanted to uh, to get and you've asked for you're gonna see some of these things coming so keep your ears open uh, right around the first quarter of 2013 and I think you'll hear more great things about the vocalizer that's available for JAWS 14 and this vocalizer voice will also become available in the magic 12 release it's not at this moment but it will be shortly uh in an update and the next uh, version of open book that we put out will also take advantage of vocalizer Um, So after those two key changes that just about everyone can take advantage of, we have the new Windows operating system, Windows 8, which was announced the end of October by Microsoft, and uh, JAWS for Windows 14 is ready to go. So if you do upgrade to Windows 8 or if you get a new computer and it's got Windows 8 on it, take advantage of it right away with JAWS for Windows 14 release, install it on there, and uh, there will be some information in, in the form of webinars on our website. Dan Clark is getting ready to roll one out. Or Windows 8 to try and explain the start screen a little bit. It's not too difficult and uh, I think for the most part Windows 8 on a PC with, with a keyboard feels very much like Windows 7 except the start menu is now a start screen and so the, the navigation is a little bit different. Getting to the way you shut down the computer or restart the computer there's a couple of new keystrokes and uh, we cover those in our FScast from uh, August and September. You can listen to those or check out the webinar by Dan Clark uh, on our on our. Track training pages, and you'll be able to take advantage of of picking up on a few of those new keystrokes that you'll want to know. For the most part, on a PC with a keyboard, you'll find that the applications that you've been running in Windows 7 will work just fine. In Windows 8, there are new Applications which Microsoft has created uh, that they intend on really being available for the tablet environment or the phone environment with the new Windows 8 platform. Uh, they originally called these Metro. I believe the name has changed, but uh, these applications are fairly basic. There are actually a lot of games. Some of them are accessible. Some of them are not um, but I think, you know, users will start to take advantage of, of trying those out on Windows 8 on the, the PC. And I think Microsoft Surface running full Windows 8 Pro is just around the corner. Here after the first of the year, we're looking forward to getting our hands on one and taking a look at it. This is a tablet that will be running a full version of Windows where you'll, you should have no problem getting JAWS for Windows installed and running. And uh, we will be introducing touch screen support coming for JAWS 14 once we get these tablets out there and we start to, uh, to do our final testing. The development is underway and uh, you'll be able to take advantage of touchscreens using JAWS as well as the keyboard on those tablets.
1: I'm wondering if it's caused any problems for you all as far as keystrokes. I saw a list of Windows 8 keystrokes the other day and there was like six pages and I'm thinking that had to affect JAWS in some ways.
3: Uh, No. Really very few changes for Windows 8. There were a couple of things, but it wasn't much. And most of those keystrokes that existed in Windows 7. So, you know, like to get to the start screen is press the Windows key, just like you did the start menu. To get to Windows Explorer, it's the same keystroke. Windows E, you still get to Explorer. So there aren't that many new keystrokes really on the Windows 8 side. It's not that bad. Okay. Okay. And very few changes in the, in the, in the side of uh, JAWS as far as JAWS commands. We've done a pretty good job of staying away from having conflicts with the Windows commands. So, In addition to Windows 8 and Flexible Web and Vocalizer, we have introduced support for Microsoft Office 2007 and 2010 to be able to read email messages using the virtual buffer. So in earlier releases of JAWS and in other screen readers, people have been familiar with web pages or emails that open up that are formatted uh, like a table, uh, which screen readers can't read in Office 2007 and 2010 as they could in 2003. The message that you used to get is you'll have to open this email in a browser if you want to be able to read it. Well, that's no longer the case with JAWS 14. It will virtually Virtualize those email messages, and you should be able to walk through and read those uh, just as you did in 2003. It'll feel just like a web page when you're walking through it. And that's a, a pretty big breakthrough. And for the people who uh, have been taking advantage of it, we've gotten good feedback. I will point out that uh, anyone who has had some issues, who have had trouble trying to read those emails, um, we would recommend that you make sure you check for updates on your Outlook 2007 or 2010. Make sure you have the latest version. Uh, there are Windows updates available, and we have found some users who have not gotten the updates in Windows Office 2010 in particular, and they had some problems, and the support team got to the bottom of it, and simply updating solves it. So stay current, and things should work just fine. Um, Also, we've made some enhancements to Text Analyzer I'd like to talk about. Uh, Text Analyzer is a feature that we introduced in an earlier version of JAWS for Windows. Uh, It allows you to step through any inconsistencies in your document. So if you have created an email message or a Word document, and let's say you have open parentheses or quotes or extra spaces or capitalization maybe on letters that don't seem quite right, like a second letter in the Word instead of the first letter or no capitalization at all at the beginning of a sentence. JAWS for Windows with Text Analyzer has been able to let you move from one inconsistency to the next, identify what it is, and let you decide if you want to fix it uh, in your document or email message before you do anything with it. So it's a very nice tool. Now, in JAWS 14, we've added in the ability to not only find inconsistencies, such as font changes and when attributes like bold or underline change or the color of the text uh, point size, whatever it might be. But when it finds one of these changes, it stops at that location and it identifies what just changed. So it will tell you if text changed colors. It will tell you if text changed point size or if an attribute like bold has been applied or if you've reached the end of the bold text and you've gone back to normal text. So it's a very nice way of stepping through a document. And I, and I think it's really it's the first tool that we've ever had available to us where a blind user could actually walk through and really check his document. You were always able to look at revisions, you were always able to look at spelling mistakes and grammatical errors, but you really couldn't find these inconsistencies. And many times people send out email messages, and if they're not looking at the document uh, very precisely in this fashion, your document can look very strange. Your email message can have fonts of different point size and different colors, and, and it looks very strange. So Text Analyzer is a great tool to let you walk through, find those changes in your text, and make. The modifications to them to resolve it if you want to. Um, we've also added a feature from Microsoft Word into HTML where you can drop a place marker, a temporary place marker at some point on a web page and then you can read to some other location on the web page and then with a simple keystroke insert space and M to mark the text it will select uh, all the text between your temporary place marker and your current location on the web page. You may be selecting from further down the page backwards up towards top or you may be selecting forward depends which, you know, where you put your temporary and where you've moved since then. But this is a great way of not having to hold down the shift key and navigate through a web page, selecting a line at a time. You can just drop the temporary at the beginning of the area that you believe you'll select from, and then continue reading. And when you get to the end of the passage that you wanted to select, just insert space M, and you've now marked all that text and can copy it to the clipboard. So it's a great feature. It's been in Word for a while, and now it's available to you in HTML. We've also made many changes in the area of ARIA, and uh, you'll continue to see these changes in the update coming out in December because we got a lot of good feedback about ARIA through the public beta cycle that we didn't get them all in. So if you are an HTML user, whether it be Firefox or IE, keep your eye out for that uh, December uh, release. First week in December, it should be out and uh, take advantage of those enhancements in the form of ARIA and all the other things that we've worked on. Um, There are many other... uh, changes within JAWS 14. There is also hundreds and hundreds of enhancements that we've made from reports from customers during the uh, release time of JAWS 13. We are constantly trying to address issues where people have called in through support and those bugs were escalated up and uh, we've been addressing those and identifying them. They're listed in great detail on our webpage. You can read through those and when we come out with the December hotfix, there'll be a whole uh, new list of those. So please take advantage of that and read through them. So, David, I think I've kind of hit the highlights. Um, is there anything in particular that you had uh, questions about or things you think listeners might want to hear?
1: Well, one of the things I was curious about, because I know there's been a lot of uh, changes going on and things going on, what with all of the cloud applications out there now and uh, Office 2013 coming along, and it looks like a lot of that's going to be cloud-based or uh, with Office 365 and so forth. I'm wondering. Uh, What things are you finding that uh, maybe need some work or you've done some work on as far as uh, some of the Office things for Microsoft and the Google Docs and so forth? What are you finding there?
3: Well, I can't speak much about Google Docs. I'm not uh, aware of many changes on that front at the moment. Uh, I will tell you that the Office team at Microsoft has been very uh, proactive, especially the past several months as they're getting uh, closer and closer to the release and we've been working very closely with the group and looking at some of the early versions of that uh, software and giving them some feedback and uh, for the most part it looks like the new version of Office is going to work very well. It should be a smooth transition. There are a couple of areas of concern uh, but I think we'll talk more about those once the release comes out if uh, if in fact those haven't gotten addressed but I think for the most part people who have been using Office, Microsoft Word, Outlook, things like that you shouldn't have uh, too much trouble transitioning to the new version and we are continuing to work on changes that will appear in a January hotfix of JAWS 14 to make that uh, work even better. There's always room for improvement as these new versions of Office come out and our developers are working on those Areas right now as uh, Office is, is kind of finalized itself.
1: So you think probably right now, if a person uh, when Office comes out and it looks like it's coming out fairly soon, should have at least uh, some pretty pretty good access to Office 2013.
3: Yes, I think for the most part it should work very good. I don't know that I would abandon uh, 2010 immediately. I think I'd let 13 get out there and let's let some users really run it through its paces. You know. What developers uh, find and what testers find is not always the same thing as what users find.
1: That's very true.
3: And so once we get that out there and get a little more exposure and get a few more people running it under uh, uh, more normal conditions, I think we learn a lot more. But uh, all indications are that Office, this next version of Office should be a pretty smooth transition as the last one was.
1: Okay. What about IE9 and IE10, uh, particularly IE10? What are we seeing there?
3: Uh, We've got that now. It's mid-November, and we're running that through its paces Uh, In our test department, we don't anticipate any changes. Um, Everything looks uh, just fine. I think the transition from IE 9 to 10 should be very smooth. Now, there is a version of IE 10 that you'll get on Windows 8, which is a desktop version, and there's also a version that was one of the uh, Metro-style versions of IE. So you actually have two versions of IE 10 on Windows 8, And they should both be working just fine.
1: Okay, so the uh, I know early on there was some talk about that the one that's actually in the start menu, uh, the metro type version was a bit difficult to access, and so uh, we've got a handle on that now.
3: Yes, I think there are some limitations. I think we've had it working quite well since day one. I actually demonstrated that at CSUN last year, the end of February, so uh. It's, I, I believe the Metro version has some limitations that the regular desktop one does not have. But I think if you have an opportunity to pick one, you'll probably go with the full desktop version and it's got all of your favorites and, and abilities to, uh, to do things uh, on web pages that you're used to uh, with your browser. And I think that the Metro version has some limitations in that, in that area. Not necessarily Jaws limitations, of course. These are by design in, in Windows.
1: Okay, and uh, most of the uh, I'll call them Metro apps, although we the name has, I believe, as you say, changed. Are you finding that most of the Metro apps are fairly easy to access, or uh, what are you seeing there?
3: Well, I've you know I've looked at quite a few, and uh, the Internet uh, Explorer and the internet email uh, package that comes, and the calendar, and the contacts that you get in, in Metro-style, we've uh, spent quite a bit of time to make sure that we get those things working well. And for the most part, those programs seem pretty good, and I think Microsoft put a lot of emphasis on those, those programs to make sure that they were going to work right. Now. Many of the other Metro-style apps, whether they be games or financial pages or weather report pages or news article pages, uh, many of these things have, they're a bit clunky to navigate with a keyboard and somewhat difficult in in many areas to be able to really get to the information that you want to get and then be able to review it. Uh, so you can oftentimes get a chunk to read, but it's very difficult to, to navigate it and review it in detail. So I'm still a little bit skeptical about these Metro apps uh, in general. I think we will uh, see improvements in these things. And even the ones that, that claim to be accessible Uh, don't always seem to be really easy to use. They're certainly not uh, the same as a desktop app and the same navigation that you would anticipate from an application. So in many cases uh, you you can't necessarily tab through it, you can't necessarily arrow through the app.
1: Okay. Um, Two other things that I was thinking of Uh, one I believe there were some changes in the way ResearchIt works now.
3: Well, we did make some changes in ResearchIt in order to allow the results to show up in an HTML window. And the advantage to this is we were able to roll research it into Magic 12 so that uh, Magic customers with a mouse could take advantage of it. We needed a, an HTML window that you could actually have proper markup and do mouse clicks in it. And, uh, and so that change has rolled into JAWS as well, and it allows you to use quick navigation keys to walk through your results, and uh, of course you can select it and copy it just just as you would a normal web page. So it feels much more like a regular web page, and it allows somebody who uses a mouse uh, to be able to view it. Now, the other thing that this window does, we call this our results viewer. This window is not something that will disappear. If you brought up some results in Research It, you can keep those results in that window and keep that window available to you while you alt tab to another window, and then you can come back to your results. So if you look at baseball scores, for instance, or football scores, you may want to go back and forth and look at several teams' results. and. Uh, and so you can bring up the scores, click on one of them to go and check out the details about a particular game, then leave that window and come right back to your results and pick up where you left off. So it's a nice little uh, feature to be able to get back and forth between your results research ResearchIt and applications that you're running on the computer. Or if you were reading something in Results Viewer from ResearchIt and somebody called you on Skype, for instance, or text messaged you and you went and you dealt with them, your results would still be there when you came back. Okay. So that was really the change there
1: okay uh, the other thing I was curious about and I have I've messed around some with Windows 8 but haven't gotten too deeply into it yet uh, but it was my understanding that there maybe are some limitations in Windows 8 as far as being able to review the window that isn't it does not have focus that we didn't have before
3: yeah so traditionally in in Windows we have used uh, different forms of capturing information on the screen and building what we call our off-screen model so that you could actually go back and review a window with the JAWS cursor or a braille display. In Windows 8, we've lost the ability to be able to use mirror drivers. Microsoft has taken that away and they have replaced it or provided to us a solution called an accessibility driver. Now, the accessibility driver is not uh, exactly the same as some of the other techniques we've been able to use, and one of the limitations with the accessibility driver is that you can only have an off-screen model of one window at a time. So if you had a window that was restored on your screen and you had a braille display and you were walking down across that window in earlier versions you could actually see the edge of that window and see another window with text behind it so that you would be able to see that information off of the end of your display And in Windows 8, you will only be able to capture information from one window at a time. So whatever application window or dialogue has focus, that is the one window that you'll be able to review with JAWS cursor or a braille display. That's really the limitation there.
1: Okay, all right. Well, um, I've got to tell you, what I have seen of JAWS uh, 14 and my use of it, uh, I'm quite impressed. Uh, My use of it with Windows 8, I've used it some bit, and I actually did a basic Windows 8 review for main menu using JAWS 14. And um, I'm pretty impressed so far. I think uh, people are going to be surprised at how accessible Windows 8 is. I, I'm not seeing any really significant problems and um, been impressed pretty well so far with how JAWS 14 is working.
3: Well, that's great. I appreciate hearing that, David. And uh, I know my hat's off to our development team. They got started on Windows 8 early. We were uh, really the first company to go out and show anything, especially with the Metro apps running back in February, earlier 2012. So, um, We really, you know, we put the time in and we worked closely with Microsoft to be able to be ready. And uh, I think Windows 8 in general is ready for most people. But I will say, um, you know, we think about Windows XP, which is still out there. We have a large percentage of our customers who are still running under XP. And XP came out, I, I believe, somewhere back around 2002, about 10 years ago. Um,
1: fall 2001
3: fall of 2001 so over 10 years ago and XP is still being widely used out there it, it was a very solid operating system um I don't think Vista is going to be used 10 years after its initial release, but I do think that Windows 7 will be. Windows 7 is a very solid operating system. It was really the basis, uh, the foundation for this Windows 8 release was built on top of Windows 7, and Windows 7 is, uh, is, I think, going to be our next generation of XP. Windows 7 is going to be used in a corporate and government environment, I believe, for many years to come. So if somebody is out there and they have a computer they got in the past few years, and it's got windows 7 on it i don't know that there is a huge advantage for you to run out today and upgrade to windows 8 i don't really think that you're going to gain that much from it
1: Um, that's kind of what i'm seeing too and uh uh, i think you you, i've heard exactly what you're saying from a lot of people that windows 7 may be the windows xp uh it's really been very stable and um, most people have adjusted to it quite nicely
3: yeah, I think that's that's going to be the case. It'll be around a long time. I do think that Windows 8 is going to be widely developed and promoted for tablets and phones, and, uh, and, and we'll see what happens here on the PCs. I will say that for the people who have made the transition to it and who have been using it on their PCs, even PCs that were bought for Windows 7, it's performed very well. So I think it is very stable, and I think it's, again, a testimony to how good Windows 7 probably was at this point because Windows 8 has come right on top of it and, and it's worked very well.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And one of the things
1: I think that we should mention to people uh, and, and keep reminding people of is that with the touchscreens, we, you still will need to have a full Windows. Uh, Windows RT is a different animal. Am, am I totally correct there? Uh,
3: that's right. There are actually... Um, three different versions of Windows 8 uh, that a, that a consumer could probably get. Windows RT is the first one, and RT is the one that it's, it's a runtime, it's uh, really a cut down version of Windows designed to run the new Metro style apps, not really designed to run full desktop applications that you've been running on Windows 7. Uh, you'll traditionally, you'll see this Windows RT sold on phones and on tablets. Uh, then there are two versions of Windows 8. There's Windows 8 and Windows 8 Professional. The Windows 8 should work fine as a JAWS standard solution. So if you ha- if you don't have JAWS Pro, if you have JAWS standard, you'll be looking to get the regular Windows 8, not Windows 8 Professional. If you get Windows 8 Professional, you will need the Windows uh uh, the JAWS Pro license in order to run on that. And Windows Standard and Windows Pro will both be appearing on PCs and on tablets down the road here. We know that Microsoft is getting ready to release a second version of Surface, their tablet that they created, and that second version scheduled for the first quarter is going to be running Windows 8 Pro. And that's the one that we should be able to get JAWS installed on, and it should work just fine.
1: Okay, I had somebody ask me just a couple of days ago, somebody who has JAWS Standard, uh, they seemed to think that it wasn't possible to buy Windows 8 as an upgrade uh, from a Windows 7 uh, computer. Is Windows 8 Pro the only thing that a person could actually go out and buy a box copy of?
3: Uh, in the initial release of Windows 8, that was the case. That's what I had read is that if you wanted to buy the upgrade, you could only get an upgrade for the Pro version. Uh, I believe in December and or January, standard will become available out there. So you should be able to get the regular Windows 8 on a PC or as an upgrade, but probably not till after the first of the year. And I think that's a great question for the Microsoft uh, Uh, providers out there uh, speak with them but that was what I had uh, last read and if you do a Google search on on Windows 8 Professional versus Windows 8, I think you'll be able to learn more about that. Okay, I know the only ones I had seen
1: as upgrades were Windows 8 Pro. And oh, no
3: question, that that was the only one available in the uh, in the initial release was the Pro.
1: Right. Okay. Well, Eric, I want to thank you for coming on the main menu and talking all about Windows 8 and JAWS 14 and all of the improvements and the enhancements. I know I took a look at the in uh, enhance- enhancement page for jaws 14 and i said wow (laughs) you folks have really been busy and we certainly appreciate it appreciate you coming on and talking about it and uh wish you all the best for the upcoming release
3: all right well thank you david thanks for having us on and i wish everyone a, a fantastic holiday season and look forward to getting out there on the road and seeing you and dusty will be out there traveling with magic and uh we uh We look forward to uh, seeing everyone at the conventions this coming year. Well,
1: very good. We're looking forward to seeing you. Have a good holidays and say hello to everyone at Freedom Scientific for us.
3: Will do. Thanks, David. Bye-bye.
4: Hi, everybody. This is Mary Emerson, and we're going to talk today about the mini-guide, which is a mobility device. It is a supplementary mobility device. You use it in addition to your cane or dog. And it's a small thing. The user's guide says that it is 80 millimeters long, 38 millimeters wide, and 23 millimeters thick, which translates to about one and three quarter inches long, about three quarters of an inch wide, and I would say about a half an inch thick. It's a very light device, it only weighs a couple of ounces, if that much. And it vibrates when it detects an object that is within its range. It sends out ultrasonic pulses, and these pulses come back to the device if it finds something ahead of you or to the right or left of you, depending on where you're pointing the device. I am a former user of the Moat sensor, so I really didn't need any training to use this device. And I don't think you'll need any training either because it's fairly simple. You just make sure that it's being held straight in your hand so that wherever you aim it, you're going to get an accurate reading of what's ahead of you or to either side. The Moat sensor is a similar device. It's a little thicker. It's a little heavier. It was sold in the 1970s and 80s, and it had less of a range adjustment. You could either set it for long range, which is about four meters, or short range, which was, I would guess, about one meter. And that translates to about 12 to 15 feet for long range and about three or four feet for short range. The mini guide, as I said, is very small. You aim it like a flashlight, except you hold it in the palm of your hand And you point it ahead of you, and you scan right and left with it. The device has an on and off switch, and you not only use it to turn it on and off, but you can also hold down the switch as you turn it on, and it will adjust to different ranges. The default is about 15 feet, or about 4 meters. And you can adjust it by holding down the on and off switch, and it will give you a quick vibration which will tell you that it is adjusted to the next range and the ranges are as follows. When you turn it on it will adjust to four meters which is as I said about 12 to 15 feet and then when you get another vibration it's two meters which is about half that and then one meter and then a half a meter which is great for indoor use and then eight meters which is about 25 to 30 feet, and this is really quite nice because sometimes you really do need that long range so that you can find where you are in an open space. The battery life, I think the book says about 100 hours, but it depends on how much you use it, and there's a low battery warning. If you turn the device off and it pulses four times, then you know the battery needs to be replaced. By comparison, the Moat sensor had a nine-volt rechargeable battery, and it had its own charger. And you charge the battery up. I guess it took about seven or eight hours. The Mini Guide uses a non-rechargeable lithium battery, and I think the battery life is about a hundred hours, as I said and you definitely do not charge it you have to use a coin to open the battery compartment on the mini guide whereas with the moat sensor you could just slide one edge and you expose the battery compartment and you could just take the nine volt battery out and replace it if the battery didn't charge anymore or you could even use an alkaline battery but definitely not recharging it but using it as an emergency backup there are also advanced settings that you can use for the Mini-Guide and these are either for mobility instructors or if you want to set up some presets or some things like that. And both the Mini-Guide and the MOAT sensor had an earphone jack so that if you didn't want to use vibrations you could use audio. and. I think that with the mini-guide, you can use chirping rather than vibration for the audio. At this point, I'm going to show you the device by putting this recorder against it as I'm walking around. I'm going to start about 12 to 15 feet away from a solid wall, and then I'm going to gradually come towards it, and you're going to hear the device start to pulse, and the pulsations will get quicker as I get closer to the wall. And also you're going to hear me turn the device on. This will give you a good idea of what's going on and then at the end I will turn the device off. I'm in a room and there's probably going to be other stuff that it's going to see so I hope this will be clear Okay, I'm right against the wall, and I'm going to turn this off. These devices have really saved my life. I'm deaf on one side, and there are times when I'm going past shopping centers or walking around where there are parked cars, or even cars that are moving, and they go in front of me or to my right, and I wouldn't know they were there without these devices. The Mini-Guide is a bit more sensitive than the Moat sensor, and I'd rather have it more sensitive than less. Also the Mini-Guide is less costly than the Moat sensor was. I think I paid probably a little over $300 for the Mini-Guide. I got it from the Cindero group, and they're known for their GPS devices, but they also sell the Mini-Guide. It has just been a godsend to me. I don't know how I can travel at all without it. And I don't travel that much these days, but when I do, I really need something like this. And that's the Mm mini-guide.
1: Hi, I'm David Tanner, host of Main Menu. I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, to come by and see us at the Main Menu webpage at www.mainmenu.acbradio.org. And while you're there, sign up for our Main Menu Friends mailing list. We'd love to have you on the list and have you input ideas on how we can continue to improve Main Menu. Also, while you're at it, if you have the opportunity by buy and see us on Twitter... You can access us on Twitter at twitter.com/mainmenu. The following presentation is brought to you on Main Menu, courtesy of David Woodbridge and Vision Australia. To find out more about Vision Australia, visit them on the web at www.visionaustralia.org.
5: Vision Australia. Blindness and low vision services. Welcome to this demonstration of the Apple TV. In this demonstration, I want to show you how to add another Apple ID to your existing Apple TV, so that you can take advantage of other movies, TV shows, etc., that you have on another Apple ID. So, for example, at work, I have my main Apple ID that's got limited movies and TVs on it for demonstration, and then, of course, I have my family Apple ID at home, which contains a lot more movie, TV, etc. content. So for this demonstration, I've actually bought my Apple TV from work home and I'll be actually adding my family Apple ID to my existing work Apple TV. So let me say that I've got my TV turned on, the Apple TV is running and we're currently sitting at the home screen of my work Apple TV. So we can notice the change. I'm actually going to show you currently what I've got in my TV selection on my work Apple ID. So I'm going to press the up arrow to go to the menu bar of the Apple TV. Movies button one of five. Press right arrow. TV shows button two of five. Okay, TV shows, pressing select on the remote. Remembering that on the remote it's the round button at the top, which is your select key in the middle of that round circle, of course, which contains the up, down, left and right arrow directions. So I'm going to press select
0: now. Purchased one of six. Purchased one of six.
5: Now I'm going to go into purchase by pressing
0: select again in purchase TV shows. Recent four button one of five.
5: Can okay, I press the right arrow?
0: Yes, minister one of four. Okay, yes, minister one of four. Fringe two of four. Fringe right arrow again. Knight Rider classic three of four.
5: Yes, I'm a Night Rider fan, mainly because of the Talking Car Kit, not because of the Hector. Okay, I'm going to press Rider again. Night Rider, Classic, 3 of 4. Okay, and I can't go any further in that direction, so I'm going to press the down arrow. SpongeBob SquarePants, 4 of 4. And SpongeBob SquarePants as well. So basically I've got four TV shows on my Apple TV that I've purchased, of course, streaming them through the iCloud. Okay, so that's my current work Apple ID. I'm just going to press the Menu button to go back a Menu. Purchased one of six. That's the bottom left hand key on the remote. Pressing menu key again. In main menu, TV shows button two of five. Okay, so we want to add another Apple ID to my existing Apple TV,
0: i.e., my work one. So I'm going to press the right arrow until we get across to settings. Music button three of five. Computers button four of five. Settings button five of five. press select in settings. General button one of seven. Now we want to get down to iTunes. So I'm going to press the down arrow key. Screensaver, button, 2 of 7. iTunes Store, button, 3 of 7. Okay, iTunes Store, and pressing select again. In iTunes Store, accounts, David, button, 1 of 8. Okay, that's my existing Apple ID.
5: So I want to add another Apple ID. So I'm going to go into accounts, pressing select again.
0: In iTunes Store accounts, sign out, David, button, 1 of 3. Okay, so I can sign out of that one, pressing down arrow. Add new account, button, 2 of 3. Okay, add new account, pressing select. To sign into the iTunes Store, enter your Apple ID. If you don't have an Apple ID, create one using iTunes on your computer by choosing Store Create Account. Login keyboard A
5: button. Okay, so here's Alpha. the login keyboard. To put in your Apple ID, you need to select the characters on this keyboard by pressing left, right, up, and down arrow keys to navigate the keyboard, and then press select to select the character you want. But let me just explain this on-screen keyboard. So currently on A. Of the on screen keyboard at the moment. If I press the up arrow, lowercase letters 1 of 4, that's lowercase
0: letters. If I press the right arrow, uppercase letters 2 of 4, uppercase, uppercase letters, letters
5: 2 of 4, then I could press select on to change the keyboard to uppercase. Right arrow, symbols 3 of 4, symbols Changing it to 3 of 4. If I press the right arrow again, recent 4 of 4, recent 4 of
0: 4, that's recent, which you want to worry about at the moment. So I press left arrow, symbols 3 of 4 uppercase letters, two of four, up, lowercase letters, one of four, lowercase letters, one of four.
5: Okay, that's the left-hand side of that top row for changing lowercase, uppercase symbols, etc. So I press the down arrow key.
0: Login keyboard, A, button,
5: alpha. That's the first row of the keyboard. So if I press right arrow, B, button, bravo,
0: okay, C, so if I press it says
5: bravo, Charlie, Charlie, D, D, cross. Button, D e, button, E, button, right F, button, F, submit, two of nine. Submit, press right arrow again
0: submit two of nine
5: okay I can't go any further so basically what you're going to find is each row of course has the next grouping letters for the alphabet so if I press left arrow login keyboard
0: f button e d c b a button alpha okay press down to go to the next row g button g golf if I press the right arrow h H, button i button j button k button l button Submit two of nine. Okay, back over to the submit button. Left arrow. Login keyboard. L B, K back to the button. Beginning. J button. I button. H button. G button. Right, down again. M button. Okay, now once go
5: across this row again, because it's going to be the same sequence with the letters and the submit button. If I press down arrow again. S button. Same thing. Sierra. Here, down again. Y button. That's
0: Y. If I Press right arrow.
5: Z that's button. That's
0: it. One, button, one two, button. Two button. Three button. Three, button four button. Four. Submit. Two Submit. of nine. Come back over to the login y, keyboard. Left arrow. Three, two, one, z, y, button. Five. Button. Five. Six, six but seven, seven and button the right arrow key. Eight. Button. Nine. Button. Zero. Button. Submit. Okay. Two of nine. And then over to the left again. Login keyboard. Nine. Eight. Seven Button. Period. Button. Period or four stop. Underscore. Button. Underscore. At. Button. At. Dot com. Button. Dot com. Dot net. Button. Dot net. Dot edu. Button. Edu. Submit. Two of nine. Over the left again. Login key. Dot net. Dot com. At. Underscore. Period. Button. Down again. Space. Button. Space. Delete. Button. Delete
5: as in delete button. Delete the last character. Clear. Button. Clear to clear everything you've entered in so far. Submit. Two of nine. The submit button. If I go back over the left again. Login key. Delete. Space. Button down that's the bottom of the keyboard so for this demonstration let me put in a dummy username and password and then i'll go back in real life and put in my family's apple id and password so we'll just do the demo one now and then i'll pause recording and we'll come back after the login to the apple id i'm just going to put in
0: my at apple.com submit submit and enter the password for my at apple.com. Login so keyboard enter A password. Button,
5: submit. And press select on submit. Now just pause the recording, and then we'll come back to that submit button once I've put in my real family Apple ID and password.
0: Okay, so i will put in my family's ID. I've resumed the recording. So I press select on the submit button. And remember password. Would you like Apple TV to remember the password for Ellen? Come to rent or purchase items from the iTunes Store? Yes. Button. And I want to remember it, so I press select on yes. Accessing iTunes Store. One of two. In iTunes Store accounts. Add new account. Button. Two of four. Okay, so if I press dinner. In switch to account. David. Button. Two
5: of two. Okay, so that's my current Apple ID, which is David. I press dinner. Ellen. Selected. Button. Two of two. And that's my family's account, and it said that's currently selected. Okay, I'm gonna press the menu key to go back in
0: menu. In iTunes Store. Accounts. Ellen. Button. 1 of 8.
5: Okay, so that tells me that that's the current Apple ID that's selected. And press the menu key again.
0: In settings. iTunes Store. Button. 3 of 7. Press menu again. In main menu. Settings. Button. 5 of 5. So let me press the left arrow key to go over to TV shows. Computers. Music. TV shows. Button. 2 okay, of 5. Okay, I'm gonna press select. Favorites, 2 of 7. Favorites, 2 of 7. Accessing iTunes Store, 1 of 1. Press the left arrow key. Purchased, 1 of 7. Press Select. In purchased TV shows, recent, 6. Button, 1 of 6.
5: Okay, press the right arrow key.
0: Boardwalk, 1 of 6.
5: Okay, and as you can tell, these are now completely different TV shows.
0: Rome, 2 of 6. Rome. Last chance to see, 3
5: of 6. Last chance to see, etc. Okay, so basically I now know that I've got different shows on there that I could now watch on my family ID. So for example,
0: let me press the menu key. Purchased, one of seven. Menu key again. In main menu, TV shows, button, two press of five. Left arrow. Movies, button, one of five. Movies, press select again. Wish list, three of six. Wish list, three of six. Left arrow. Top movies, two of six. Left again. Accessing iTunes store, one of one. Purchased, one of six.
5: Okay, press select on purchase.
0: In purchased movies, recent, 10, button, one of six. Okay, and here's my family's movies for my boys. Press Roger. David Attenborough presents flying monsters. One of
5: ten. Okay, David Attenborough presents flying monsters. Roger. Dr. Seuss the Lorax.
0: Two of ten. Dr. Seuss the Lorax. Roger. The Princess and the Frog. Three of ten.
5: Princess and the Frog.
0: Roger. The Lorax. 1972. Four of ten. Spider-Man. Five of ten. Spider-Man, etc. Okay, so press menu. Purchased. One of six. In main menu. Movies button one of five and let me go and switch back to my own Apple ID. Right, arrow. TV show music computers settings press button settings. five of, in settings general button one of seven. Down arrow to iTunes store screensaver iTunes store press button, select free in iTunes store accounts Ellen button one of eight okay, press select in iTunes store accounts sign out Ellen button one of four okay, down arrow. add new account button two of four in switch to account Ellen. Selected currently button, account, 2 of 2, David will button, my 2 of 2, For work. press select. Accessing iTunes Store, 1 of 2, Ellen, button, 2 of 2. Okay, that's currently not selected. If I press the app arrow, David select selected button, 2 that's of currently 2. Currently now selected apply ID for work, press menu. In iTunes Store, accounts, David button, 1 of 8. Okay,
5: that tells me it's currently active because it's told me the current account. Press menu. In settings, menu iTunes, st- in
0: main menu. Settings button and let's find the
5: across to have a look at purchased movies. And it should be my
0: movies on my Apple ID now. Computers, press music, our 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 TV across, shows, movies, press button, select purchased one of five, purchased purchase, one of five select. in purchased movies. Press recent right arrow. Star Trek VI first press contact one of ten right arrow across 2001. A Space Odyssey, two of ten
5: space Odyssey, etc. So that's definitely my Apple ID for work. Press
0: menu purchased one of five menu again in main menu. Movies, button, one of five. Okay, I press down. Apple events, button, one of 12. And I'm back to the first icon on my
5: home screen of my Apple TV. So basically, that's how you can add another Apple ID to your Apple TV and access the iCloud content of either Apple ID. So you go into Settings, iTunes Store, Accounts, and choose Add Account. To get to your other Apple ID, and you can switch between those Apple IDs depending on which content you need to access. So, very useful if, like me, you have more than one Apple ID with its associated content. So, that completes this demonstration. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. Vision Australia blindness and low vision services
2: The preceding program was brought to you courtesy of Vision Australia You can visit Vision Australia's website by visiting www.visionaustralia.org That concludes this week's edition of ACB Radio's Main Menu. We hope that you have enjoyed the program and that it has been helpful to you. If you have any suggestions for future Main Menu shows or any comments about anything you've heard here on Main Menu, please feel free to contact us. You can find all of our contact information on our website at mainmenu.acbradio.org. On that page, you will also find past show archives, a link to the Main Menu Twitter page, and a page to subscribe to the Main Menu Friends mailing list if you have not already subscribed. On behalf of David Tanner and the entire Main Menu team, we thank you for listening to Main Menu this week, and we look forward to seeing you back here on Main Menu next week. Until then, have a great week.